K-A-L-W. This is TBH. I'm Chosong Tenzin. And I'm Hannah Nee. This podcast is made by, about, and for teenagers. And for anybody else who wants to hear what's on our minds. Today's episode is about race, education, and punishment. We're going to start off with a commentary from a San Francisco high school student on how racial discrimination has impacted him. My name is Kevin Field. I'm in 10th grade, and I go to Burden High School. Well, as a black young man, it played the factor into my life in a way that's kind of unfair in a way, but so that's the reason why I want to talk about it. I pay attention to, like, little things since I was young, and I already know, like, like people treat people of color differently than non-colored people. And it, it really just, like, is unfair because skin color shouldn't play a big factor into how people are treated in their, like, day-to-day lives and stuff, so. One example uh, actually wasn't with me, it was with my mother. She was on the phone with landlord or something, and she was negotiating a deal to basically to rent out this house. And on the phone, everything was going pretty smooth. She was like, all right, I'll, like, take a look around the house, like, next Saturday or something. And then a uh, person over the phone seemed, like, pretty happy to um, let her... Uh, rent out the house and so she shows up the next day and um right when the person sees my mom they all of a sudden it's like oh no never mind you can't rent out this house and like ever since then I kind of realized that like man it's messed up that like even though you're trying to provide a a roof over your family's head it can be hard if you're colored compared to someone who's for example white or something because it's a very low chance that someone that's white will go through that experience. Cause I feel like racism is gonna be here no matter what, but I feel like we just could have like spread awareness and like make sure like hatred doesn't win. Then I feel like we could really get somewhere. Cause I know like us as people, we could, we can get there one day, like just something, but we just have to like try to work together and just, that's all we got. Thanks for that commentary, Cameron. With some of the most expensive rent in this country, Finding a reasonable place to live in the Bay Area is hard enough. And Cameron's story is a reminder that Black people must overcome barriers like racial discrimination to find a home. The San Jose Mercury News reports that two-thirds of the Bay Area's low-income African-American households are either dealing with gentrification or are at risk of being displaced. The recent Black Lives Matter protests have shined a light on racism's influence in our institutions, and they've forced our politicians to pay attention to these hidden forms of racial injustice, like the ones tarnishing health, housing, and education systems. And this includes how young people are punished in schools and by the police. Our next piece comes from Messiah Edwards, a freshman at Southern University in Louisiana. She knows the impact punishment can have on young Black girls because she's lived through it. In the Bay Area, officials are beginning to rethink criminalizing kids. Last year, San Francisco supervisors voted to close down Juvenile Hall. Activists like Julia Arroyo with the Young Women's Freedom Center have demanded that for a long time. The ancestors spoke and it was time to like just really pushed to close down this place. Over in Oakland, the Black Organizing Project has been pushing to kick district police out of schools for nearly a decade. 
they succeeded this year. For those adults that are afraid, it is time for you to be inconvenienced like our children have for years. Jasmine Williams with the Black Organizing Project describes this victory as momentum, meeting the moment. We wanted to abolish the school police department as a marker of a larger political move to really transform education and start investing in supports that youth need. This issue really hits home for me. I'm Black, so I have to see oppression and discrimination happen against the people in my community all day, every day. I see it in our San Francisco neighborhoods and in our schools. I know how common it is for young people to be disciplined instead of listened to. The school to prison pipeline often begins with suspensions. I was suspended for the first time when I was seven years old. A boy was harassing me, so my first reaction was to defend myself. For that, I got suspended. But boys continue to harass and pick on me. You get fed up after a while being pushed around so many times, so I would fight back. And then I would get suspended from school over and over again. Each time the teacher saw the tension building up, but didn't do anything about it. It never felt like anyone wants to hear the full story. Suspension works in different ways. It, it deprives you of the physical opportunity to be in school and get the support you might not otherwise have. Laura Bazelon directs the Criminal and Juvenile Justice Clinic at the University of San Francisco. And she's right. After you're suspended, you fall behind in school. Your main focus becomes dealing with other students who want to know what happened or trying to avoid them. Your main focus becomes trying to survive. It also can fill you with a real sense of despair and belief that the system is not fair, which I should point out, it is not. The number of students suspended in California schools each year has steadily declined, but the racial disparities haven't gone away. Nationwide, a report from Columbia Law School found that Black girls are six times as likely to be suspended as white girls. When you combine all of that, what you get is the likelihood for this person to go down a path that is going to lead to what I call system involvement, to involvement in the criminal justice system. When I was a freshman, I read The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. I've always been very blunt, but as I began to read and learn more about the systems that were put up against me, I started to think, okay, now I have something new to speak out against and be more blunt about. I speak out for people in my community, like my friend Kevin Lindsay. Honestly, I, I, I like school until I start getting in trouble. Kevin and I met while we were working together at San Francisco's Pier 39. He's 18 years old now. He's goofy and loves basketball. But he says people view him as a threat. A lot of people would be nervous when they see me because I'm tall and I'm big and I'm black. But honestly, I'm very friendly. And that's what a lot of people don't see me. Like me, Kevin has been suspended from school for fighting since he was young. When he returns to class, school security guards start to follow him around and teachers begin to see him differently. They kind of would just treat me like, just like, like I'm a criminal. Like they didn't really care to understand me. 
students who are suspended are more likely to be involved in the juvenile justice system. Kevin knows the cycle. His mom, dad, and three brothers have all been incarcerated. Okay, so this this is a student that's going to just end up dead or in jail. Like, they just was like, okay, it is what it is. Like, that that's just Kevin. When Kevin was a freshman, he got into another fight. This was in 2017, the year his 15-year-old brother was shot and killed. I was sad and angry all the time. Like, I was just sad because it's like, I was broke. So as soon as somebody would do anything to me, I was going to let them have it because I couldn't release my anger and my sadness any other way. I didn't know how to. But after this fight, he was sent to juvenile hall. I'm thinking I'm going to get out in an hour or two because I went to jail for fighting. Like, I'm like, this is crazy. Like, I never heard of this. A school fight, I'm going to jail. Like, I just never heard of that. So I'm like, I'm going to get out. My mom's going to pick me up. And then when I got there, they started giving me clothes and stuff. And I'm like, what do you, what am I, why am I getting clothes? Like, I'm about to leave, right? And they were telling me that I wasn't. So then I'm like, okay, this is starting to get serious. Kevin was locked up for four days. He says the whole school knew about the fight before it even happened, but no adult stepped in. And he says the pain has been building up inside him for years. I feel like it first started with my environment where I was growing up and my family being broken. I would say like us all already like going through a lot and us being broke. I feel like that's how it started it. And then I feel like my school could have prevented it. Instead of offering Kevin support when he needed it, the school suspended him. Then they sent him to jail. Luckily, Kevin met adults who wanted him to succeed. The counselors at Juvenile Hall knew his family and saw potential in him. Everybody knows the Lindsays. That's my last name. Everybody knows the Lindsays of being in jail. The police know, like, that's in my neighborhood. They know. For him to speak good on me and my family for the first time, it felt so much to me. It made me so happy. It's just like, somebody sees good in us, and I honestly thought nobody did. Kevin started talking to a security guard at his school named Chi. Chi grew up in San Francisco's Fillmore District. He knew Kevin's dad, his brother, and understood what he was going through. They played basketball together and talked about the future. He was just telling me that that's not the life you want to live. I, I, I got to do what I got to do. I got to go to school. I have to. I, don't have a, I started to make it to where I don't have an option. This is what I'm going to do, and that's that. I got to accept it, and I got to start to like it, and that's what I did. This makes me think about my own mentor. He was a high school principal and one of the few Black people I knew at the school. He has to deal with the same issues I've had to deal with. Now, it's Kevin and I supporting each other. When we first met about a year ago, he asked me what I would do if I saw him homeless 10 years from now. I asked him the same question, and in my head I thought, We've got to do something with our lives. And then I told him he should join the Omega Alive and Free Boys Club. It's a violence prevention program in San Francisco that offers academic tutoring and scholarships. I heard about it from my mentor to show here in Lane, and Kevin agreed to go. It was co-founded by Dr. Joseph Marshall. Instead of saying stop the violence, I wanted the young people to look forward to something. And staying alive and free was what I 
always told them to do. When I walked into Omega, the first thing I noticed was the black and brown faces plastered on the walls. I had never seen so many faces the same color as mine in graduation attire. We would go to Omega for hours every week. It was like school after school. We learned how to be financially literate, how to be good at math, and to know our history. At the end of the program, I asked Dr. Marshall about the faces on the walls. We had a lot of tests, and uh, those that pass the tests are up on the wall at the club. People who graduate college make it on the wall. Now approaching 250 college graduates. Yes. And um, somebody <laughs> named Messiah Edwards is trying to get in the group. So, oh, uh, yes, definitely. You should definitely pick her. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see if she makes it to the wall, but I got a feeling that she will. I know in four years, I'll be one of those smiling faces motivating the next Omegas. We recently had a virtual graduation to celebrate completing the nine-month program. Kevin and I attended, and one of the mentors gave a speech. I want to encourage you to do more than what you did. We set the bar high because we believe in you. It's demanding because you're brilliant, you're capable, you're able. This all meant a lot to me because I finished high school during a pandemic. I got a full ride during a pandemic. I attended a program during a pandemic. And now I'm going to college during a pandemic. Thank all of you spending this time tonight. And as always, stay alive and free. That's it. Good stay night. Alive and free. Good night. Y'all next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs> We often say kids are the future, but what is the future when they're behind bars? We have to think, do we want to give children a chance? Because too often we see consequences, but not any form of rehabilitation. That story was reported this summer by Messiah Edwards. Messiah is currently a freshman studying criminal justice, and she plans to one day become an attorney, representing youth in the juvenile justice system. Kevin plans to go to City College in San Francisco to get his bachelor's degree and keep playing basketball. He wants to be like his mentor, Chi, and help kids who have to deal with violence like he did. I agree with Messiah. Our educational institutions need to change the way they handle discipline for children and young adults. At my old high school, one of my classmates was given a full-day suspension for taking a single Twizzler, I'm referring to the candy, out of a storage room. Another classmate caught cheating on a physics exam was only given detention. That student's mom is a prevalent volunteer and supporter of the school. Now that girl is a student at UC Berkeley. These two instances were talked about a lot at my school. But students often feel powerless to do anything about these disparities in who gets disciplined and why. We talked about how discipline plays out at our schools with other TBH teens. Cho kicked off that conversation. I'm Maddie Johnson. I live in San Francisco and I'm going to be an incoming freshman at UC Berkeley. 
Hi, I'm Ava Richards. I live in Belmont, California, and I am a senior at Carmont High School. I notice a lot at my school, the white students tend to like feel more bold or like they feel like it's not a big deal if they like do illegal activities or um, yeah, just things like that because I feel like they know that the repercussions aren't going to be as bad for them. And I can definitely see that, especially like their parents will defend them and like kind of they have the power to kind of step in and um, help the student in that case. Yeah, um, my friend actually at her school in San Francisco, there was a case of someone doing blackface and she had had like many encounters like before of people saying disrespectful things to her about her race and things like that. But um, she decided to like stand up and say something and the school's predominantly white. Um, it's a private school. So when she stood up, she was called a snitch by other students. So even just like being the minority in a space and having the courage to speak up is like a big thing. And like a lot of people don't feel comfortable doing that because that's your community and space that you would go to like every day, like that's your school. The administration won't really do anything um, revolving like racial slurs or anything like that unless like people of color like stand up for themselves and like tell them that it's wrong. But then there's also the fact that like my school isn't necessarily the most diverse. It, I would say it's a majority of white people and Asian Americans. And so like there are so many like white people and Asian people at my school who will use like racial slurs. And it's just like really frustrating to see how like they can get away with all this stuff. And because we have like less of a diverse population, like they're going to get away with it because the admins won't do anything unless, like I said, a person of color will like stand up for themselves. And it's just like, why is it their responsibility? Like the admins are supposed to be the people who are trying to make our school a better place. And yet they refuse to like stand up and take action against a lot of these things that are happening. And yeah, it's just like really frustrating for me to see. I don't necessarily want to bash my school at all because I loved going there. And I don't feel like I saw any disparities in discipline um, on a racial basis, but I do believe that there were disparities based on levels of affluence as well as position in the school. So I feel like it was very easy for students whose families were very involved both financially as well as gave a lot of time and were involved in the school community, I feel like it was much easier for their students as well as high-profile students, so students who are athletes or who had leading roles in the community, to have much more lenient um, disciplinary actions when they did something wrong. So, for example, we did have a three-strike rule as well, but I know for a fact that sometimes athletes were sort of just given a talking to instead of having an official strike go on their record, for instance. For example, these athletes bring in the school a lot of money from boosters and alumni donors, and so the school wants to protect them. And I understand that, but it's still hard, you know, that people like that have those privileges. Those were the voices of Ava Richards, Maddie Johnson, and me, Cho Song Tenzin. During the season of TBH, 
Many of the voices that were featured came from teenagers in the Bay Area who cannot vote. There are around 73 million people under 18, just like them, residing in this country. When we decide who to vote for, we often think, what policy, what politician can best support my interests? Yet seldom do we think of the interests of those who aren't able to vote. Because of climate change, more disasters are yet to come. The politicians you vote for now will decide the fate of this country, no, our world, for decades to come. Yet the people who will be most impacted by disastrous policy can't even vote yet. Many of them aren't even here yet. Voting is a great privilege for those of us who can vote. We can have our beliefs heard. But consequently, it's also an opportunity to speak up for those who can't. For any one of us to act as delegates for them. And even if you can't vote like me, there is so much you can do. Pre-register to vote. Get involved in supporting your community. Utilize your creativity to amplify issues that matter to you. Register to be a poll worker, or as Hannah touched on, use your privilege to benefit others. You've been listening to TBH, a podcast from KLW Public Radio. Holly J. McDee edited and taught along with Sarah Lai Sterland and Kristen McCandless. Our engineers are Christopher Agusa, Julia Linus Goodman, Kristen McCandless, James Rowlands, and Gabe Graven. Music was composed by Daoud Anthony. We used additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. Our artwork was created by Awan Mance. Shireen Adil is the content manager. Ben Trefney is the executive director. This project was made possible with support from the Association for Continuing Education, the California Arts Council and California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Next time on TBH, we'll talk about basketball players speaking up for racial justice. That basketball means everything to you. And we really try at the protest to tie the sound of the basketball and that basketball being the heart to George Floyd. And you don't want your heart to stop athletes and activism next time on our final episode this season of tbh if you like what you hear and you want to support teen voices in your podcast feed please take a few seconds and give tbh a rating and if you have a minute give us a review it really makes a difference thanks for listening i'm your host hannah nee and i'm cho song tenzin bye Thank you.